Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. England, 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 England. Here's Gaspar. Gaspar is going to finish it here. Welcome, come in, sit down, make yourself at home and get ready for episode four of Back of the Net, the England 2016 podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. Yeah, that's right. Once again, we have done our Hodgson by changing a winning side from the last episode. A stand-in pundit, Rob Frank, gets dropped and back in comes the misfiring Sam Davis. Misfiring, Sean. And after all I went through in France over the last week. Uh, yeah, good point, Sam. What was it, an inflatable dinosaur outfit? Well, I look forward to hearing about your travels later in the show. You weren't supposed to mention that, Sean. Anyway, first things first, I still haven't bought myself an England shirt, so unfortunately I'm just wearing this grotty old T-shirt today. Oh, Sam. Well, for me, it's the 2006 World Cup shirt with number seven Beckham on the back. The king of the golden generation. Amazing. So, coming up on the show today... We bring you your fan thoughts on the nil-nil draw with Slovakia. We'll then briefly discuss the match, although we won't dwell too long on it. Yes, probably a good idea. We'll bring you another Do You Remember to see if you can recall a previous England Euro great. Well, maybe not so great, but, you know. On past form, yeah, definitely not so great. Sean will then step inside the back of the net news booth to bring us the latest England Euro news. Yep, and as long as I can find my way out of the booth, we'll then be able to look ahead to England's round of 16 game versus Iceland. So let's get going with this episode's Do You Remember? Because I'm feeling pretty confident today that I'm going to get it right. Do you remember? Do you remember? 
This player was born on the 13th of June 1980 in Birmingham and played for England between 2002 and 2004. He was a striker who received 22 caps during his international career, scoring six goals. He was included in the England squad for the 2002 World Cup in South Korea and Japan, making three appearances in that tournament, and was then selected for the 2004 European Championships, where he appeared in all four of England's games. His last ever act as an England player was to miss the team's final spot kick in the quarter-final of those Euros versus the host Portugal, which allowed Ronaldo to step up and score the winner. He never pulled on an England shirt again. In his club career, he started in 1998 for Aston Villa before going on to play for Manchester City, Ankaraguchu in the Turkish League and finally for Leicester City where he retired in 2012. Sorry to bring up the bad times of England penalty misses in major tournaments, but uh, surely that means we can all remember who it was who stepped up. Sam, how are you feeling about it this week? I'm actually feeling quite confident. I had a player in mind and uh, yeah, the club career, I think, has just confirmed my opinions. But uh, I knew he, this player was a favourite with a particular manager, I think. I could be wrong, I think. I tell you what, this break on the podcast has done me good because I am all guns blazing. <laughs> right, just just to put it out there, Sam, you know that this guy wasn't Steve Stone, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, back to the drawing board it is. So it's been an incredible Euro so far for many teams, not really for England though, but Sean Barker is going to bring us up to date with all the latest England Euro 2016 news. England Euro News. Roy, not a scaredy cat, even though England aren't the top cat. Despite Wales finishing top of the group above England, manager Roy Hodgson has declared that his side are not frightened of anybody as they head into the knockout stages. Soon we will make someone pay. We will score goals one day, said Roy. Gary Cahill is also feeling confident as he told the press, The way we're playing, we shouldn't fear anyone. I definitely feel like we are going to give someone a real beating soon. I hope that we do that. Don't we all, Gary? Don't we all? They've got a ticket to ride, but there's no team. 
many England fans who presumed their team would top the group had now been left frantically trying to organise alternative travel arrangements so they can continue to follow the side. England would have been playing their next ground game in Paris on Saturday night, but after the 0-0 draw with Slovakia put the team in second place, they now instead travel to Nice on Monday. Some England fans are now considering whether they stick to their Paris plans and go and cheer on Wales instead of the Three Lions. I presume travel insurance companies would never cover trips based on predictable success of the England team. The risk would be far too high. The grass is definitely greener on the other side. With all the group matches now completed, we have the roadmap for the next stages of the competition and it's fair to say that England are on the side of the draw that is a lot tougher than the other. Having finished second in the group, England will face Iceland in the next round, but if successful, then based on the big teams winning their ties, the three Lions would face host France in Paris and then either Italy, Spain or Germany in the semi-final. On the other side of the draw, there will be a finalist from the following teams. Wales, Northern Ireland, Croatia, Hungary, Belgium, Switzerland, Poland or Portugal. So what price an England-Wales rematch in the final? England Euro News. Thank you very much, Mr. Barker, for the England Euro 2016 news there. And for once, I'm glad to see that you were wearing more clothes than me when I was watching Northern Ireland v Ukraine last week. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but I need to just pull you up on a few of these puns. Roy, not a scaredy cat, even though England aren't the top cat. Wonderful. Thank you. Pretty good, eh? And uh, although it was pretty interesting because that was the news story. And then I saw BBC publish a news story, which was Alan Shearer. No one will fear England. (laughs) 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 Oh, oh, thanks, Al. Also, they've got a ticket to ride, but there's no team. There's a reference there. Some music from the past, isn't there, Sean? Yeah, it was a singing, a singing uh, headline. How about that? It's It's the new it's the new pun headline. That's beautiful, beautiful. And also, the grass is definitely greener on the other side. Yeah, and we will uh, talk more about that when we get into our preview of the Iceland game and beyond. As, yeah, there's been a lot of talk about these. The two, there's two sides to every story and there's two sides to every tournament. Mm, that's right, that's right. Now, the big news, though, in the last week, Sam, was that you actually went over and had some first-hand experience of the Euros in France, not to see an England game, but it was your stag do, right? And you managed to score some tickets to Northern Ireland. Yeah, but what goes on tour, Sean, stays on tour. So let's move on to the fan thoughts now. And, uh, uh, thoughts. No, Sam, I... sorry, let's, let's, <laughs> you don't get off that easily. No, 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 no. Back it up, my friend. Okay, okay. I'll tell you a story. So, yeah, uh, we travelled up to Lyon, uh, me and 12 friends, on the Thursday morning, and we arrived in France about half past nine. So um, that was that was wonderful. And I was fearing, you know, what are they going to dress me up as? I knew it could be sort of Euro-themed, judging by a few Facebook messages, which I managed to sort of decrypt. And um, 
One of my friends, Andy, said, yeah, um, Sam, take all your clothes off. All you'll need is your white boxer shorts on. So I thought, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? So they decided to um, paint me in half-and-half kits, half Ukraine, half Northern Ireland, and I even had two little paninis on either nipple for the actual badges. So I was wearing white boxer shorts only and flip-flops. I was an FKW, a full kit, can't say the other word, um, but actually with no clothes on. So I was feeling pretty cold, Sean. Yeah, I was impressed. I did see a photo and it looked like they'd done a very good job. It was very convincing. So this is what you uh, wore into the stadium. Now, what what was the atmosphere like? Because obviously being from the outside and especially with this Euros, there's been a lot of focus on the bad stuff and the bad the baddies and the bad eggs and the bad people and the police and all that stuff. But, you know, I've been to a tournament. I went to the World Cup in Germany and had an incredible time. So let's hear let's hear some good stuff. What was it like pregame around the city and all that stuff? It was terrible. Got a black eye, blood streak. No, no, no. It was actually really good. Now, before the um, entering the stadium, of course, it was the England game. So we found a pub and there was loads of fans mingling. A lot of England fans, some Welsh fans in there, some Northern Ireland fans who were there ready uh, to just, uh, you know, pop up on the tram to the stadium. But it was a really, really good atmosphere. And um, all the fans were getting on with each other. You know, many pints had been down, but it was it was a really... Yeah, very pleasant indeed. There was no nastiness whatsoever. And then from there, we got um, on a tram to the stadium, which took about sort of 10 minutes or so. And there were so many different, uh, you know, kits on show. Of course, Ukrainians and uh, Northern Irish, there was plenty of them. Um, I had a little situation when I was approaching the, the entry to the stadium because everyone was searched. I didn't have much to search on me because I was just in my boxer shorts. But they kind of pulled me up and put me to the side a bit. And the guy was kind of looking at me thinking, can I let a naked man in? And he actually called for his manager. But the manager didn't turn up for at least two minutes. And then he looked at me. I think he realized (laughs) this guy's going to be no trouble. So he just said, oh, you know, go on then. You can get in. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. Now, um, actually, when I went to the England Trinidad and Tobago World Cup game in Germany, I also got pulled up by security. But my reason was that I had an England flag with, you know, you always have your, your team written across it. And I had our, our football team, the Loco Boys. So it had AFCB for AFC Bournemouth. And then in big letters across the middle, it had Loco Boys. And the security yeah. weren't sure because it wasn't a team. They thought it might be some kind of commercial operation. And you, it was where they were really hot on. You can't have any sponsors or any oh. advertising for businesses. And I'm going, look, mate, there's like me and 14 Bournemouth mates that, you know, loco boys. It's just a football team. They're like, mm, we're not sure. Is this some kind of business? And then they got another guy came in and he looked at it and was like, I think he must have spoke Spanish. He was like, loco boys, crazy boys. I'm like, well, yeah, you're kind of right. And but yeah, eventually did make it into the stadium as well. But there you go. Back of the net boys, always on the edge of security issues. Yeah, that's right. So we managed to get into the stadium and, um, you, you know, we took our seats. And one thing that was great, we we arrived about 20 minutes before kickoff, but we didn't sort of realise that each individual match has its own opening ceremony, um, which lasts about 10 minutes with two massive like football shirts or jerseys, as you like to call them, Sean, um, that get kind of um, wheeled onto the pitch and lots of kids like running around in the in the shirts. And it was it was all very, very well choreographed sort of stuff. But it really brought the fans 
together, it sort of emphasised the whole kind of unity thing with Europe, uh, fans getting on, you know, kick it out with racism. It was the whole sort of caboodle, and it it was really good. You know, some 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 sort of uh, you know good upbeat music, and s- straight after that, the teams then came out and got to say the Northern Ireland fans are a class apart. They were absolutely phenomenal. They are so loud, uh, constantly singing, um, obviously the Will Griggs song and plenty of others. There's, you know, there's another one, you know, David Healy, the one that scored loads of goals mm. for, for Northern Ireland. There's a great chant. Uh, it starts off away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his right. Yeah. Um, the stars in the bright sky look down where he lay, he lay, <laughs> so we were so we were singing this song absolutely um well throughout the whole game will Griggs, but yeah they're so loud and yeah it was just a really good atmosphere no intimidation whatsoever um there were fans mingling there wasn't much in terms of segregation but there didn't need to be it's just football fans united in in supporting their team and um I really enjoyed it, apart from being absolutely freezing. Now, if you'd have watched that game, you'd have seen that there was this sort of two, three-minute interval where the referee pulled the players off because of these massive hailstones. Now, I was I was <laughs> kind of feeling the drizzle at that point because we were sat in a seat where it was kind of covered, but then the rain started coming in at an angle. And these hailstones were hitting me on the nipple. It was really, really <laughs> hurting. However, it didn't last long. And, yeah, 2-0 to Northern Ireland. It was a cracking atmosphere. They completely deserved the win. And um, it was certainly a costume that I never want to wear again. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you had a great time and it's good to see you, you did make it back, even if you did give me a call and wanted some help with the old uh, Google Maps. But it's good to see you back and it's good to see you with shirts on. Yeah, and um, I went to the fan zone on the next day in the centre of Lyon and that was really good as well. Now, in there we watched um, Czech Republic v Croatia and as I've sort of said before to you um, there's five aside matches little um, kind of drills that you can do with the ball dribbling throughout the cones and it's very family sort of orientated there's um, you know loads of beers on and it was just a, a you know a really good atmosphere there as well again absolutely no trouble um everyone was security checked um i thankfully wasn't in an outfit that day so well i was i was in a t-rex outfit but we'll talk about that another time um but it's a far cry from what we've been hearing elsewhere um i know marseille have got their ultras leon have two but there wasn't anything it's it's not that kind of city and uh to be fair, Sean, I completely enjoyed it and I would recommend it to anyone um, who can go to a European tournament or a World Cup. If they get the chance, do go because it is a one in a lifetime experience. Yep, agree with that. So let's let's see us all in Rush, Rush, Russia. Ah. Oh, no, let's maybe see us all in Qatar. No, no, because oh, let's oh, maybe it'll be Australia after that. That's only across the water from me in New Zealand. So that'd be quite handy. But anyway, thanks for the update, Sam. And now let's turn our attention briefly. Don't worry, listener, briefly to that England-Slovakia game. And first, let's hear some fan thoughts on what the people who've been at the game or watching the game, see what they thought about the nil-nil draw. 
how can you not pitch Slovakia? No. You need to get the results finished off of the group. You, you don't pitch Slovakia. That's it. We're, like, we, we're going to play better teams than Slovakia. We need to work our game. I know most games are really tight in, in, uh, over here in the championships, but you've got to be beating them, haven't you? You have to. Yeah, you do, yeah. How, how, can, you how can you not come out of that game without result? They sat, on, sat in behind us all game. We turned up, we had a go, but we couldn't beat past them. That was the long and short of it. We put out a few players who wouldn't normally be number one players, and they just lined up and stopped us getting anywhere past them. So. You look at Wales and they're going to turn out and say, yeah, we won the group. But they also had a Russia team who came out at them, I'd imagine, and then picked them apart. We didn't get that, did we? Uh, England turned up, but I just, they just had nothing going into attack. They had nothing. They played possession-wise, and it just looked like they were there just for the draw. They didn't go for the win. They didn't do anything else but the win. And yeah, they that, just had yeah, 10 men behind the ball yeah. for most of the game. And that's what they, I don't know, it seems to be their game plan. Get a point, get that third spot. But, I don't know, frustrated us. Need better finishing, probably, but... We started off slow. It's not looked sharp, have we? We've gone to Russia. That's exactly the same we've done tonight. Basically, it's looked... Sh- What's the problem? Yeah. What's the problem? It's not sharp. We're not direct. Like when Brady played for Leicester, he's straight in. He's like, he's not direct. What was Roy doing to him? Yeah, overall, yeah, well, overall gutted. But we're, we're still in it. We're, yeah, we're, we're marching there, on. But, but Good luck to him. Oh, Good luck to him. top to finish second. Yeah. I mean, just whatever. I mean, why, there's, there's not too many teams to be scared of, is there? You play a big team, they pick us apart. Fair enough, we've got a young team. We'll go again, won't we? And we're the bigger team, we're like England, where... But we're just like... We just gifted it to him. They were 3-0 on the big screen back there. And they must see that 3-0 Wales. And what do they do? Just pass it back to defence. Back to Gillard over there. But they win. Now, like, England have lost there. But we might win in the Euros, but we've lost back there. Well, those are some fans' thoughts from the fan zones and people around the stadium after the game expressing their concern and not really any delight after England drew with Slovakia. Roy Hodgson's gamble of making wholesale changes, it backfired badly. They stumbled to that goalless draw in St Etienne. He made six changes including resting captain Wayne Rooney from the win against Wales. But it was a limp performance, which meant that Chris Coleman's side finished top of Group B. And England's life is going to be slightly more difficult the more they go deeper into Euro 2016. Now, Sean, six changes. Six changes. What were your opinions on that? Was it the right thing to do? Well... I think I come from a different school to probably you, actually, Sam, knowing your views on this. I think we're going to differ on this. I don't think it was fair to say it was limp. I also don't think the six changes, I don't think that had any, made any difference in a negative way. I mean, once again, we totally dominated as we'd done the two previous games. We'd had an absolute bucket load of chances just could not finish. So for me, it's like that. I didn't see any difference from that game than 
really the Wales game or the Russia game. And we made six changes, but it didn't... It was exactly the same. We absolutely dominated. We played against a team that sat stupidly deep. Um, obviously, we can go into, you know, yes, we should have broken them down. But I don't know. I don't, I don't see what... what what do you think? Why do you think the six changes made a difference? Well, in terms of, say, starting at the back, um, Klein and Bertrand. Now, you know, these fullbacks, you know, they get up the pitch quite a lot. And it's probably quite a lot to ask the regular duo to be playing every single match. Now, of course, we don't we don't know how many matches we're going to be in. But it's, you know, it is quite tough on them. So I thought Klein and Bertrand... Fair enough. Now, I think Klein especially had a very, very good game. Um, up front, you do you reward the strikers that got you the win over Wales? Of course, we know that Sturridge and Vardy scored the two goals, but uh, I don't know. Part of me was of the thought of, well, if you've got Sturridge and Vardy there... Later on in the game, if things are nil-nil or you're struggling for a goal, like you haven't really got that player. I mean, yes, you've got Rashford, of course, but bringing Kane on it doesn't have the same effect as bringing on Vardy and Sturridge. So for me, it kind of weakened our bench in a way by having them on. Now, I thought that Adam Lallana um, played very well again, and I thought he was quite unfortunate to be substituted. I think he's been very good for us. Um, Jordan Henderson, he started alongside Dyer. There were a lot of negative uh, tweets that I was seeing about Jordan Henderson even before the match started, and it seemed that any foot he put wrong um, was instantly jumped on by the Twitterati. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't actually think he was so bad. But in terms of the changes, yeah, I mean, um, I would have probably left it as it was up front, despite the fact that Sturridge and Vardy scored. But I would have, I would have, yeah, I agree with the defensive changes that he made. In the middle, not so sure, because Rooney is our Pirlo. Although when he came on, you wouldn't necessarily have thought it, judging by his wayward passes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, as I said, I mean, there was a start I saw about Klein, is that he created seven chances in that game, which equals a record for England in major tournaments, apparently. And I think... The lack of, like, Bertrand didn't get forward as much, but then Rose hasn't been getting forward as much, which kind of shows our right side is our kind of prominent side. I think our final ball into the box was still pretty poor, regardless of who we played. But I don't know, people talking about, oh, it backfired and on Roy and all that kind of stuff. I just don't see it. I honestly don't see it. And his interview after the game where he was really frustrated, I kind of, I actually shared that. I actually felt like... We're pretty, we're pretty harsh. I think we're pretty harsh critics. I mean, we, you watch these other teams, and this is the thing, like you watch the Islands and the Wales and all that kind of stuff, and they, there is a sense of they're just happy to be there, and that's not trying to belittle them. That's just the reality. There is a sense of that. And there seems to be like a sense of fun of watching them and, and celebrating them, and we just don't have that with England. It's so... We're all waiting for them to mess up or not succeed so that we can absolutely hammer them. And for me, if we step back and we look at these tournaments so far... As Roy said, I actually agree with Roy. I don't think I can't remember when we've played three games where we've totally dominated. Bar score the goals, but a goal here, there, or whatever, and it would have been totally different. Germany in their last game, what totally bossed? Yes, they managed to get that goal. So they're the Germans. They win one nil, and everyone's happy. We were a goal away, 
You know, if Vardy's chance had gone in early, if Sturridge with his great block, Lallana, if he's got to learn not to hit it at the goalkeeper. You know, there were so many chances that we had. Ali cleared off the line. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on how many chances we created. And, you know, Gary Cahill said, a battering is coming. And it's like, well, if we do keep going, I think there could well be a battering coming. But the, the... the fact that we needed to find a solution to break teams down, I guess for me, was a little bit disappointing that after the first game, it was like, right, Russia have sat real deep. Maybe the Wales game caught us a bit off guard because we thought they were going to come out a little bit more than they did. But having had two games where teams have sucked deep, we pretty much knew Slovakia were going to do that. That was my only thing I was disappointed with. I felt we should have been working to try and be a bit more inventive in that final third. Or if you're not going to break it through, then work better ways to have more long distance shots that are quality long distance shots. It felt like our shots from distance were all a little bit, you know, wayward and not that well planned. Yeah, it's uh, it was a tricky one for uh, for me to decipher, really, because the tournament layout or format doesn't didn't really lend to Slovakia needing to do too much other than just defend for their lives. And that would effectively give them a place in the last 16. Um, For me, I think regardless, we should have been beating teams like that. I know they had 11 players behind the ball, but we should be beating them. And I kind of said on Twitter that had it not been for an injury time goal against Wales, we'd be struggling to qualify right now. Um, But then, you know, if the shoe's on the other foot, then we wouldn't have conceded that last goal to Russia. So swings and roundabouts and all that. But I don't know. Um, I feel as though the players that finished the pitch with such, you know, walked off the pitch with such positivity. And it really felt like when Daniel Sturridge scored that goal, there was real momentum. And we did, for that split second, have that kind of Welsh togetherness. That the, uh, You know, a chunk of those players that finished that match didn't start against Slovakia. So I do feel, feel as though we lost something. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, like when Spain went on their amazing run of winning the Euros and all that kind of stuff, I think it was the last year, is they own, they played the same 10 players every game. I think they only changed the strikers, the only one who retained it, I believe. And, yeah, that was the, the only thing against the changing, was, you're right, is that word momentum, that we we lost the momentum. Now, the only thing I can think is that Roy's looked at the way that the standings and the way that you're going to progress... And yes, okay, we almost ended up with Portugal, but I kind of wonder whether Roy was always confident that we were going to play a lesser team in the round of 16, i.e. he looked at it and thought, well, we're going to end up playing Iceland, Hungary or Austria. And I think on paper, you'd be confident of beating any of those. So did he look at it of, we'll go through the group stage and then from the round of 16, that's where we start the momentum? Maybe so. Maybe I, I, if we if the team that we play against Iceland, I would expect to see from there onwards. We almost treat it like another tournament because this tournament, because of this extra third team that's come in and whatnot, it does feel like there's two tournaments. It's a it's a little bit like the Rugby World Cup, whereby the Rugby World Cup basically starts after the group stage, right? So the group stage, you see these teams kind of going through the motions a little bit. And I felt there has been a degree of that. Now, today, obviously, with Ireland getting their last minute winner and all that kind of stuff, everyone's like, oh, this is great. This is what the this is what the third team's all about for moments like that. 
I don't know, like, is it worth sitting through all those pretty dire games with last minute goals just to get to that stage? I don't know. I'm still not convinced. It's kind of like for me, look, let's just go to 32 teams. Let's let them all in. At least then we get lots of games, but then we only have two going through the group again. And maybe we'll see teams playing a little bit more because I think if you look at it, teams have gone, okay, if we can hold out, we either can afford to hold out lose a couple of games and then we only need one win or if we can get three draws then we're probably going to go through and all that kind of stuff i don't know ah uh, yeah i know I, I think either which way roy hodgson's going to come out this as either a tactical genius or um he's probably going to lose his job but anyway let's just hope that we can continue the uh well the unbeaten momentum as the tournament progresses eh yeah, fingers crossed. So coming up next, let's move on from that because yeah, let's inject some fun back into the England performances, eh? And in a second, we are going to preview the Iceland game. This is not Sir Jeff Hurst, but you are listening to Back of the Net. Okay, so now it is time to look ahead to the round of 16. The group stages are done and dusted. The the three teams that didn't qualify for the next stage have gone home. And now we're just left with the big boys and others uh, in, well, definitely a tale of two sides. There's the side, as we talked about in the England news, there's the side that's got a lot of teams that will be looking at it saying, oh, we've got a chance to reach the final here. And then you've got the other side with the historical big dogs. You've got France, Italy, Spain, Germany, England. Can we put England in that category? Probably. All on the big side of the draw. And on Monday night in the UK, it's a nice, comfortable Tuesday, 7am kickoff for me here in New Zealand. We see England take on Iceland. Now, Sam, you're the man that knows all about the opposition. So give us your Iceland preview. Well, what can I say about Iceland? They've got a fantastic range of frozen delights, including pizzas, chicken, chips, the whole... Oh, Sam. Okay, okay. Dad joke. You're not even a dad, and you're pulling out dad jokes. Uh, did you Did you see, I noticed that in one of the, I think it was the last Iceland game, somebody, an England fan, went to the game and did have an Iceland bag that they waved during the game. Yes, I did see that. I did see that. Very, very good, very British humour there. But I do know that they scored that dramatic injury time winner in a pulsating match which eliminated Austria and then set up that last 16 tie against England. That's going to be in Nice. Um, their contest may have lacked the six goals that Portugal and Hungary scored in the other Group F game, but there were loads of opportunities to score that many. Um, they're an interesting team, Sean. Uh, to be honest, no. I don't know that much about them i know that their surnames all sort of end with the same syllable but um what are your thoughts on them well i know the stat that i love which is that they took the kind of average age of an international footballer they looked at how many men in iceland or icelandic of that age and it worked out that you had a one in two thousand chance of being in the iceland squad for the tournament so which is a quite a, you know, you'd fancy your chances, wouldn't you? But um, I also know, which is probably the most worrying stat for England fans, is that during the group stages, Iceland averaged only 28% possession. Now, as discussed, one of the issues wow. that England found was that they came up against 
pretty much three brick walls in the group stage and it was our job to try and break them down and we couldn't break them down and funny enough there's there's a argument that potentially England would have found it a little bit easier had we been facing Portugal because Portugal would have actually come out against us which probably would suit us and you know would suit players like Vardy who needs the space bloody blah but we haven't got that we're basically going to see I think a repeat of the three games that we've already had mm. as far as I can tell from the way Iceland will set up I mean they're going to look at those games and say let's do this let's sneak a goal from a free kick or let's take them to penalties if it goes to penalties pressure's going to be all on England and you know the fact that Greg Dyke head of FA has come out and said that Hodgson's contract basically is relying on them at least getting to the quarters and then quite seriously they've got to then go out in the quarters having lost on penalties or at least having played well there's a lot of pressure on Roy there's a lot of pressure on the players there's obviously there's no pressure on Iceland but for me that's the big worry is is the possession stat and we're going to see the same kind of game that we've already seen yeah I you know what I didn't know anything about that until I just read uh, the Iceland Austria match report so Iceland had 30 percent possession um, Austria had 70 percent 23 shots to Iceland's 11 so they had more than double the shots. Now, um, yeah, I don't want it to be a match like Slovakia. Um, it's going to be a very difficult game. It's not going to be a pretty one, I don't think. I was just listening to Talk Sport just a minute ago. No one thinks it's going to be a classic, which is a shame. And like you say, uh, it might have actually worked in our favour to play a team that maybe does leave more gaps. But uh, you, do you think we're going to go through? Well, it's going to be, it's either going to be an absolute repeat of what we've seen and we're going to struggle. Now, the only thing when I watched those games and I was thinking, I was imagining if any of those three games that we played were knockout games. So if they had been, I still would have been confident we would have beaten all those teams in extra time. Like, I just can't see that you can put a team under that much pressure for such a long time and you've got to 90 minutes and you survived and now you've got another 30. If we were playing another 30 against Russia, I believe we would have found a way to win. Against Slovakia, I think surely the sheer weight of numbers show that eventually you would score a goal. I know there's people saying that we could have been playing till Tuesday and we wouldn't have scored a goal. I don't agree with that. I think we would have found ways to beat those teams in extra time. The Wales game, you know, hey, we didn't need it. But again, I still think they would have gone that way. So in this regard, it's either going to be super frustrating. We're not going to take our chances. It will go to extra time and I think we will eventually find a way. Or we're going to take an early chance. Mm. And then we're going to take another one. And if we took, if we if we go two ahead, I je I really don't think they can come back. Mm. So what I would like to see is us absolutely fire at them early, and maybe don't play our way in as much as maybe we have. Let's just really go for the jugular right from the off, which I guess we kind of have done. We've had early chances in all the games, but we have to stick one away. On the assumption that uh, Iceland will, you know, do a Slovakia and get 11 men behind the ball. Now, obviously, there were chances that could have been scored. But, but what do you feel, um, assuming that they do play like that, uh, what do we need to do that's different in order to 
well, score more goals? Or is it literally just for you a case of taking the chances when they come? I I don't think we could have... We could not have created many more chances than we have in each of those three games. So I know people saying, well, we need to play differently or whatnot. There's, I don't know. There's still, if you have that many chances, you literally just need to score one. You have to take those chances. And you look back in every game and we've had chances that we should have scored. Now, I don't think you could have created those chances any different when you end up in that situation of being with the goalkeeper and you just put it past him and you put it into the net. So I guess that's where I, I'm coming from, that I, I don't feel we can play that differently other than maybe we need to say, OK, we're not going to breach their line and we're not going to make quality chances inside the penalty area because we haven't made that many where the keepers had to make an incredible save. So maybe we do need to look at another route. Maybe it is more shots from distance or maybe it's a different mm. way of crossing and and I certainly I think we can improve our ball into the box the interesting thing is going to be what team he's going to play because yeah. he's kind of shuffled his deck so much that you've almost forgotten what your original hand was and what your new hand is and, and why you were doing all that in the first place that for me is the only is the major worry so if we look at the uh, the strikers who's he going to play is he going to bring Kane back on is Sturridge still going to play? I would say that Lallana's nailed himself down because he's played pretty consistently good. Rooney will come back in. Dyer is playing really great football. Deli Ali, I agree with Rob Frank's comments last week that Deli Ali for me hasn't fired yet. And, you know, but again, has he done enough to be dropped and to be replaced? Certainly not by Wilshire because Wilshire didn't, didn't really impress. Henderson, yeah, again. Poor delivery. He's not. I don't think he's going to play. So does does Barkley suddenly get an appearance? Does he trust in Barkley to be the player to break it down? I just what to do with Vardy. Vardy does scare teams, and he he almost can. I wonder if Vardy can almost be counterproductive in that teams are so worried about the space behind that they actually end up dropping even deeper to accommodate. Yeah for Vardy so then does does the positivity of having Vardy there become a negative for us is something that I think maybe Roy should be looking at and saying well actually we need to try and suck them out a little bit further and we need to get them higher up the field and how do we how do we do that maybe that's the change in tactic we find a way to draw them out Mm, really interesting thoughts there um for me Harry Kane Hasn't been firing yet, but I I do think he needs to start. And I do think that Daniel Sturridge and Jamie Vardy are much better as impact substitutes. I know that Sturridge got in certain positions. There was a great moment where Dyer put a ball over the top and Sturridge just couldn't quite connect. I think Klein did well enough to warrant a starting place. I, I do think he played very well, but... This is one of the first sort of matches in a while where I just got absolutely no idea how he's going to start. But, you know, no matter the lineup, we've got to make some, some predictions, Sean, haven't we? Um, for me, always the optimist. I do think England are going to turn it around, so to speak. And I know we're saying turn it around, but, but you know, we've been playing very well. But all I'm saying is we're going to score some goals. 
Um, it may even be only 2-0, but I think that'll be enough. I don't think it will be a nil-nil. I know that Iceland are, are going to be defensive, but surely we've got too much for them. I mean, conceding that amount of possessions against the Austrians, who aren't exactly world beaters, what are they going to be like with us? We're going to be all over them, surely. We've got to watch their counter-attack. We've got to watch their set pieces. But I've got a feeling we are going to be too strong. They are a physical side themselves. However, skill-wise, technically, tactically, I think it's going to be a 2-0 England win. And who's going to get those goals, Sam? Thanks, thanks. Um, you know what? Lalana's been in many positions. He's had many chances. He's going to score one, as will Harry Kane. You heard it here first. The hurricane. For me, I'm going to go two predictions. I'm going to predict that Gary, K- Gary Cahill is going to score the winner in extra time for a 1-0 victory. Or we do take our chances and finally we get those three goals and a convincing victory. I honestly feel like with this team, we we are, we are going to play this game. It's going to be one way or the other. I really do. It's either going to be a Cahill one nil nervy, but we get through or three nil Harry Kane scores within the first seven minutes of the game. Uh, I still think a fullback's going to score. Not sure which one, but one of them. And then, uh, Vardy will get the third coming off the bench. Wow. Wow. Well, what are your predictions? Make sure you let us know. Tweet us. We are at AFCB podcast. And of course, you can get in touch. Of course, all, all, all the usual ways via Facebook as well. Join our Facebook page. Give it a like. That's facebook.com forward slash AFCB podcast. Thanks once again for listening to this episode of Back of the Net, the England 2016 podcast with me, Sean, and him, Sam. Uh, We hope you're enjoying these special shows throughout the tournament. If you are, please tell your mates, get them to have a listen as well. You can find all the info you need on our website, www.afcbpodcast.com. That's afcbpodcast.com. On Twitter, it's at AFCB Podcast and on Facebook it's Back of the Net the AFC Bournemouth Podcast because that's what we normally are but yeah thanks very much for listening and uh, yeah hopefully we've got a few more shows to come yet Hey Sean I've just remembered something Yes Uh, Oh no no I've forgotten no Uh, do you remember Oh Sam good link good link (laughs) oh I was practicing that all day. Yep. So, folks, it's sorry, the shameful way we've got into this situation, but it's time to reveal the mystery England Euro great that featured in this episode. Do you remember? So, should we just have a quick recap of some of the main things? So, he played, actually had a pretty good strike rate. He had 22 caps for England. He scored six goals. That's not the worst record in the world. He played in World Cups. He played in European Championships. And it's kind of what a way to go out of your international career, though. He missed the the penalty in the Euros, which meant we lost to Portugal. 
never played again. That was his last kick for England, was missing a penalty in a major tournament. Sam, come on then. The player was... I think I got it this week. I think it's Darius Vassell. Yeah, it is Get indeed. It. Darius Vassell. Now, you mentioned when you saying it, you thought you knew about him being a bit of a manager's favourite. Yeah, Sven-Goran Eriksson seemed to always pick Darius Vassell. Or Darius, no, Darius, Darius. He always seemed to have Darius Vassell for some reason. I mean, yeah, he did score goals and he did have a relatively good goal-scoring rate, but I'm sure there were better strikers at the time. But you said that he played for Aston Villa and uh, did you say Manchester City as well? But he also went to somewhere that I don't even know and can't pronounce. Where was it? Yeah, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. All right, I will. Ankara Gucu in the Turkish League. Wow, wow. Hmm. Before finally retired. He only retired four years ago for Leicester City. But yeah, he was, I'd forgotten about that. He was he was a real favourite of Ericsson. And he was like the shining light of, oh, this guy could be our future. And yeah, thankfully, he is consigned to our past. Uh, next episode, we will have another Do You Remember as we continue to assemble, well, quite some England team of greats. We've had Andy Sinton, Nick Barmby, Tony Dorigo, now Darius Vassell. What a lineup! Yeah, so thank you very much for listening. And remember, press the subscribe button. That's the main thing because you'll be wanting to hear us again and again after the quarterfinals after the semi-finals and then we might do a 10 hour long special when we win the final eh Sean is that a bit optimistic we'll live periscope it and <laughs> everything let's do it so yeah please subscribe do it on YouTube do it on iTunes because uh, we would love to have you listening in yep so let's get geared up and ready mum's gone to Iceland we're all going to go to Iceland <laughs> and then we're going to come back with a victory and a place in a quarterfinal. We'll be back very soon after that after that game. So thanks again. This has been Back of the Net, the England 2016 Euro podcast. Sir, I can't believe I said mum's gone to Iceland. <laughs> Let's just end this show. England. 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 Podcast Network.